0: Listener production. Uh, 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 uh. Take it away, my dulcet-toned Adonis.
1: Hello and welcome to Just The Gist, a weekly-ish podcast in which Rosie Waterland and I, Jacob Stanley, give you just the gist of what you need to know about a story we think you'll find interesting enough to discuss at a dinner party. And I am one episode recording away from being on holidays. <laughs> Cheers to me. I'm over in WA and so excited to be
0: in wa You already look like you're on holidays, by the way. You've got an open beer, although that's not, that's just a regular work day for you. <laughs> You've got your shirt unbuttoned down to your basically midriff. Mm-hmm. And it's a, it looks like a tropical shirt. You, mm-hmm. you very much look like the opposite of what it feels like in Melbourne right now, which is freezing, freezing. Mm. Mm. Well,
1: you're there and that's a consequence of your own choices.
0: Hey, so guys, um, our person who's helping us produce this week is called Lem, who you might know from Abby's show, It's A Lot. And we just discovered, and I'm putting her on the spot here, that she has an amazing ASMR voice. So, <laughs> Lem, will you say something ASMR-y? Fuck you. <laughs> I don't think that was asmr but, you know, just uh, you know, throw a coin in and that's what you get sometimes. She's very good at ASMR, which if you don't know what it is, I can't remember what that stands for, but it's when. People talk in voices that give you the head tingles. A lot of people would say, Jacob, you have an ASMR voice.
1: Mm, I have heard that.
0: A voice and, that gives um, them head tingles. But I don't get it from men's voices. I only get it from women's voices. Oh. So your voice does nothing for me. It's like nails on a <laughs> chalkboard. I hate it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes, you've made that very clear to me over the years. Well, there's got to be uh, something there to unpack.
0: Oh, yeah, I know. Only women psychologically i think we should keep that door um tightly closed <laughs> terrible mother me <laughs> in search of a soothing comforting woman's voice <laughs> what, why whatever for <laughs> that doesn't make sense <laughs> i twitch i twitch <laughs>
1: <laughs> you've all read her um, books you've all got your own theories i'm sure
0: i don't know if people have read my books you know while i was in the spa or the nuthouse. It depends on your sense of humor, what you prefer to call it. Um, it really just was a psych- private psychiatric clinic, but I either call it the spa or the nuthouse. Um, I did get a lot of messages from people saying, oh, I finally because, you know, this is the second time you've gone to the spa since I've been listening to your podcast. Mm -hmm. I wanted to look into why that might be. So I finally read your book about your childhood and oh my goodness, I had no idea. I got so many messages like that. So I do think there are a lot of newer Just The Gist listeners who wouldn't know that I wrote a memoir back in 2015 Mm -hmm. called The Anti-Cool Girl, in which I write about my very difficult childhood with drug addict parents and being in the foster system and all kinds of other things. And, um, you know, hence why I ended up in the spa slash nuthouse mm. as an adult. But yes, you should all go and read that book because that tells all the stories of all the things.
1: And then you can back it up with the sequel.
0: Oh, yeah, Every Lie I've Ever Told. I wrote two. <laughs> I've written two books. <laughs> I forget. And then, yeah, the sequels, Every Lie I've Ever Told. But get the anti-cool girl first. Or just listen to the podcast. That's the, Everyone says that's their favourite way to read my first book is to mm. listen to Mum Says My Memoir is a Lie, which is because after I wrote my memoir, The Anti-Cool Girl, my mum was like, that's all bullshit. I don't believe any of it. And I was like, you know what? I'm in the podcast business. Let's make a podcast out of this. And so we did. And basically each episode is me reading a chapter of my book and then my mum telling me why it's not true. And her saying, you were five. What do you remember? And me going, well, you were drunk. What do you remember? And then we argue about it. And, um, and you and won an award. in the middle. And it did. It won podcast of the year. So... Mm. Mum says my memoir is a lie. Maybe go have a listen. It's quite good. Mm-hmm. Podcast That's of the nice. year. It's had like nearly, it's had, it's up to like 8 million listeners, like listens now.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It was a big deal. No big deal. I mean, but kind of a big here. deal. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Whatever. Should we do breaking news? Let's. <sighs> Oh, I just did a key change. Did you notice that? <laughs> <laughs> because go my it. voice is kind of hoarse, I did a key change. I did an automatic key change. I wonder if that means my body knows I can't hit the higher key, which means, of course, I'm going to try. Okay, here we go. <laughs> oh, honorable <laughs>
1: We've gone from ASMR to that. <laughs>
0: this gastroscopy hold on hold on Du-duh, wait wait Du-duh, no i can't hit it i can't hit the note breaking news a breaking news i got the scoop cx see extra extra read all about it a breaking news it's coming down the wire. <laughs> what are you laughing at that i couldn't hit my note
1: Last week I was like, "Oh, I've missed this song more than I expected." <laughs> <laughs>
0: now like, mm. now <laughs> it's back, it. Bebe. It's back in your face. Yeah. Um, breaking news. Well, Boo had to go to the vet. Oh, I, I know okay? he was he. My male cat got his period, so we oh, were really worried. Oh. Yeah, I know. He started peeing blood out of his <gasps> penis. Oh, I know, oh. out of his little cat penis. Oh. Um, so I couldn't stop laughing. I really wanted Caleb when he called the vet to say our male cat got his period. But Caleb was like, I'm not saying that. Don't be ridiculous. Don't be ridiculous. I'm not saying that. Um no, but he has a, he had a bladder infection. So he was he was peeing a little bit of blood. And we were we ended up being at the vet till like 1.30 in the morning. And um it was really annoying because right as we got there. Another couple got there with a dog that was like an emergency. And so it's one of those things where you can't get on your high horse and be annoyed that you got pushed back in the line because like their dog could die. But also mm. I was like, we've been waiting. <laughs> I felt very Karen-esque because <laughs> we had been waiting. <laughs> but I uh, can't really complain when there's an emergency. So we were there for ages, not because Boo was so sick, but just because this other dog came in. But Yeah, poor little boo, got his period. So all week I've been teasing him that he's got his period. How old is he now? He's nearly ten. Uh
1: huh. I know he's really,
0: really old. He's an old man. It's old for a cat.
1: Halfway point for a cat.
0: Well, Mm. a very health, like a a very well looked after healthy cat will probably live to be about fifteen or sixteen. Uh huh. Um, and a very well looked after lucky cat will be like a, you know, one of those random Japanese people who live on that small island who only eat fish, Mm. who live to be like 120. Like a very rare cat will live to be like 19 or 20. Uh But, I mean, Boo's definitely in his twilight years. Uh And I don't know how Caleb will take it when he goes because Caleb and Boo have a relationship that is like, it's closer than mine and Caleb's. Like they have a love that is more pure <laughs> and more strong than anything Caleb and I have ever had. Those two together. Oh, I'm you sure said that there's from been from the ta-
1: early stages. If the two of you broke up, oh. Caleb was going to get custody of Boo.
0: I know. I'm sure there have been times that he's been so annoyed at me and wanted to break up with me and been like, I can't because of the cat. Mm. But we've been together nearly three years now, so it's kind of like an equal custody situation. But I would just let him take him. I'm not mean. I know Boo wants to go with him. Boo wants to go with him. (sighs) Little shit. I'm the one who nursed him. When I got him, he was in an abandoned litter and he was the size of the palm of my hand. He barely had fur. He was so small, he didn't have the neck muscles to lift his head up. Mm. So, like, you had to, like, support his little head. I had to feed him milk from a tiny milk dropper. I had to literally nurse him. Like a like my own baby to health mm. to life, and then all these years later he repays me by just looking at me like "hello, swine," and then walks <laughs> over to Caleb like "my love, my darling." It's like I'm an intruder in my own house.
1: Oh, there are a lot of mothers listening to this right now who I'm sure can relate and do <laughs> the same things with their own children. Yeah,
0: how very dare.
1: In most wow, cases, though, they, they sort of circle back around later on, right? They go through this sort of awkward phase and then...
0: Well, I will back. say this week when he's been sick, he's wanted me more mm. because I'm the one who, like, he knows does the serious business of taking care of him and feeding mm. him and doing the serious thing. You always want mum when you're sick, yeah. Exactly, exactly, mm. yeah. Mm. So, I mean, that's my breaking news for the week. No Petunias Stolen. No, um, nothing to report there. Although, oh, my gosh, it was um hard rubbish collection and we had a bunch of stuff to put out. And Caleb is one of those people who cannot – he's like a bowerbird. Like, he collects mm. things. He can't not take things. Like, he mm. can't not – this is why we have 17 coffee tables in our tiny little apartment because he can't help himself. And so we had a bunch of stuff to take out to the Hard Rubbish Collection and I said, Caleb, before we get around this corner, you have to promise me that you are not going to take anything (laughs) from the pile. We are putting things into the pile. We are not taking things out of the pile. I don't care what's in the pile. We are not taking it. And he's like, fine, Mm. I promise, I promise. And we get there and (sighs) there is just the ugliest, I think it's made of fiberglass and then like painted over. You know the stuff that like water slides are made out of? Like mm. It is like an old uh made to look like a colosseum column. Oh. Like oh. and it's about the it's about up to my shoulder and it's meant to like sit in your garden and you put like a pot plant on top of it. Oh. It is oh. the And it's like hollow, so he could like pick it up with one hand. And as soon as I saw it, I was like, he's gonna want that. And, and like, we basically said in unison, you can't have that, I'm taking that. Like, and I was like, (laughs) no, no. And so now we've got this like, this like ancient Rome style, ancient Greek style column, Colosseum column sitting in our garden waiting okay at least
1: it's outside
0: okay oh well yeah it's it's an outside thing and he's waiting for the perfect like over the top pot plant to put on top mm. i can't even you can't you can't with this guy i hope whatever <laughs> okay call out to people of south melbourne i mean everyone knows that's where i live if you are walking past and you see that collar please steal it Please steal it. If you're the person who took the petunias, I'm I'm begging you now. Come and take this ugly fake ancient Rome column off my hands, because I hate it so much. It's not heavy. Just come and get it. I'll I'll even leave twenty dollars under it for you. Okay, I'm okay. I'm gonna after after we record, I'm going to an ATM. I'm getting twenty dollars out. I'm gonna put twenty dollars under the column. If you live near me or if you walk past and you see it know that you go and take it and take the $20. <laughs> what could go wrong? What could possibly go wrong with this plan?
1: Very good deal. Get onto it, everybody. And um, this episode's not coming out for another couple of weeks, so we don't know when it's going to happen, but when that plinth disappears, you'll know. Oh, that...
0: Wait, what's it called? What'd you call it? Plinth. plinth. Is that mm. what it's called? A plinth. Yes, yeah. I've got a plinth in my front yard. A buddy Bloody plinth! Why do you know the randomest names for things? That's like when you knew the name of the silver thing that goes over the food in fancy re- in fancy like queen houses.
1: From working in visual merchandising
0: and in what is that thing
1: cosmetics? Called? The cloche.
0: The cloche. Know? Why do you know words plinth and cloche? From Honestly,
1: in visual merchandising.
0: The plinth and the cloche. Yeah. Everybody, I need my plinth and my cloche.
1: And you'd put, yeah, you'd literally put something on a plinth and then cover it with a cloche. With
0: a cloche. Yes. Yeah. Oh my God. I should put a <laughs> cloche on top of it and put the $20 in the cloche. Come and take it, please. All right. That's the end of breaking news. It's all I can handle. I've got myself into a tizzy. Do, 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 do. Gotta get Someone rid of needs that, please.
1: Send a photo when they steal the plinth, please. I'll post and then we pho- also need to see a photo of the passive-aggressive note Caleb inevitably will leave.
0: When the plinth gets stolen. Okay, know what? Guys, you're not allowed to tell Caleb that I encouraged the theft of this plinth. This is his own problem for not listening to the podcast. So nobody, none of you, none of you tell him. Promise me, none of you tell him. Okay? All right.
1: <sighs> do, do,
0: do, do. Do, do. 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 Okay, you're telling the story this week. I'm pumped. <laughs> okay. I'm ready. Let's do this. All right. Let's go.
1: Into this story.
0: Tell me your story, Adonis.
1: All right. I am serving you the story of a terrorist bombing that happened at the Summer Olympics in the mid-1990s. And Mm. the story of how the security guard who found the bomb before it went off became a global hero And then within the space of days, he became the target of all the world's collective hatred when he was accused of being the one who'd planted the bomb in the first place. This is just the gist of Richard Jewell and the Atlanta Olympics bombing.
0: Oh, is this? Was this like a movie or a TV series recently?
1: A couple of years ago, Clint Eastwood directed a
0: movie yes, about That's this. It. and it was it called yes. Richard Jewell. It was. Yes. yes, I haven't seen it, but I just remember the trailer and stuff,
1: which is very intense. The yeah, trailer. yeah. Um, um I mean, he's
0: basically just story. like this. He's basically just like this everyday dude who was like, there was a bomb, and then they were like, you did the bomb. Is what I remember from the (laughs) trailer.
1: Yeah. Just. It was like a switch was flicked. They went from you're a hero to no, we think you did this. You're the villain. Oh, yikes.
0: And And what did you say it was? Atlanta, 1996. Atlanta,
1: 1996. So let me take you back to July of 96. The Spice Girls had just released Wannabe and (gasps) everyone was doing the Macarena all around the world. It was such a great time to be alive. It's such a pity Caleb missed it because
0: he wasn't (laughs) born yet. Fuck you. <laughs> Look, he was born in 1999. He was born on the right side of of the millennium, all right?
1: True. I don't yeah. think I
0: could handle after 2000. So, <laughs> move on. Move on.
1: So, July 96, of course, the Summer Olympics were happening in Atlanta, Georgia. And you were oh, about 10 at that time. Do you have any um, recollection of those Olympics?
0: No, yeah, I really do. I remember those Olympics really clearly. I was born in 1986, so yeah, I was 10. Um, I remember watching Kieran Perkins win the 1500 metre. That was like Mm. the big race that everyone wanted Mm. him to win. Um, And we at school all wrote letters to the Olympians at the Olympic Village. Mm. It was like part of what we did.
1: Really? Did they write
0: back? No, they didn't write back. They would have been getting thousands. Every single kid Mm. in every primary school in the country would have been sending them letters.
1: Oh, I don't think we did.
0: Oh, how rude. Anyway.
1: All I remembered they was. They were your the country's master. heroes. <laughs> Did you get to pick who you wrote to?
0: Um, yes. And I picked this swimmer called Sarah Ryan because she mm. had really cool fake nails and I really liked them.
1: Ooh.
0: Acrylics. I don't know if they would make you swim slower though. i was just though. thinking the same
1: thing. Like, you no, know, faster. They They're giving you more resistance to pull.
0: Yeah, but like doesn't that slow? Paddles. But doesn't that, that slow you, like, you down? Oh, like flippers. Yeah. Oh. Kind of adding length to your fingers, like Ian Thorpe's freakyish fingers. That's right. Yeah. yeah. I
1: would have thought she wouldn't be allowed to have those.
0: You know, I saw Ian Thorpe on the street once, and he is literally like an alien. Like mm-hmm. his body is just not of this world. Like he is just so huge, mm-hmm. like tall and muscular and his uh, he, i saw him on oxford street and it was he was wearing like a um like a tank top and little shorts and it was the middle of summer and he was tan 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 like jacob level tanned mm-hmm. and he so you could really see his body and it just every inch of him is enormous mm-hmm. like just his arms looked like like they were meters long and his legs and i just Remember, just we couldn't stop staring at him. It was like, oh, my God, you can tell why he's an Olympian. Like, mm. it doesn't come across on TV. You have to see it in real life to be like, whoa, mm. look at your body, bro. Did he ever end up coming out of the closet? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh huh. He did it in an interview with, like, Michael Parkinson, I think. Okay. Good for yeah. him. Yeah. He hadn't then, though, but I got to say, that day I was like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah.
1: Walking yeah. down Oxford Street in a mesh singlet. Yeah.
0: yeah, 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 yeah. It was definitely like, oh, okay, there's a piece uh-huh. of information I, I I have collected about you that I will keep to myself. Hmm. Yeah. Right. Anyway. Well,
1: fun little anecdote. Um, so July 26th, it was a Friday night. It was the middle weekend of the Olympics and there was a big concert going on late into the night at Centennial Olympic Park, which is kind of like the main hub of the Olympic Games, the town square of the Olympic Village. There were thousands of people there, all very happy. It had this cheery festival vibe going on. And a 33-year-old security guard named Richard Jewell was Mm. stationed near the sound and light control tower in the middle of the park where the tech guys run the show from. And at around 1 a.m., he noticed an unattended olive green backpack sitting under a bench next to the tech tower. And he did what he was expected to do, which is pointed out to one of the officers who worked for the Georgia Bureau of Investigation. And he said, look, I think that probably belongs to that group of guys that are over there. They were hanging around here earlier drinking and they were a little bit rowdy. So I asked them to move on. So the GBI agent went over, found the rowdy guys and asked them to please come and collect their bag. And they were like, mm, not our bag. And so Richard and the GBI officer were like oh, pissed, so annoying. It was really tempting for them to pretend they just hadn't seen the bag and just yeah, continue yeah. enjoying the concert as they had like, been.
0: Like what are the odds it's going to be anything and this
1: exactly. is going
0: to turn our night into a whole to-do
1: Over the first week of the Olympics, they'd found over 100 abandoned bags and each one had been treated as a potential threat and then Mm. they all just turned out to be something someone had left behind.
0: So they're over it now. They're over it. Yeah,
1: and so the GBI agent was like, we can probably just ignore it. Someone will come and find it. Um, But Richard was a very conscientious security guard, took all his responsibilities very seriously. So he insisted they must follow protocol and treat the bag like it could be a bomb even though the chances were really small. So they did their duty, they notified the supervising agents and they arranged for someone qualified to come and check out the bag and make sure it was safe. And in the meantime, they started trying to clear the crowd away to a safeish distance. And Richard went up into the tech tower to tell everyone there to get out. They were all, of course, super reluctant because it meant The show was gonna be interrupted, but Richard. Of course, because they're running the
0: lighting and the sound. Exactly.
1: Yep. So they sort of walked out rolling their eyes and grumbling. And meanwhile, a group of cops started forming a perimeter around the bag. So the the best safety level they could achieve would be there when a member of the bomb squad opened the bag up. Yeah. He did that, shone a torch inside it, and saw three very nasty-looking pipe bombs.
0: (gasps) Oh, no. Yeah.
1: Thankfully, they already had that bit of a head start evacuating People, but there were still hundreds of people in the audience way too close to a bag yeah. full of three bombs that could go off at any moment.
0: See, at this um, stage, you're like, go, Richard. Well exactly. done, buddy. Well done, Indeed. mate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: Um, so thankfully they had that head start and they were still trying to move people away. But you know what drunk people are like at 1am when they're yeah. enjoying the show and they don't want to go anywhere. they were all like,
0: no. Bomb shmom." No.
1: So they're trying not to cause a panic but trying to get people to move out of the way and just as they were doing that without any warning, the bomb went off.
0: (gasps) No. I don't don't remember this.
1: I'm surprised I don't remember
0: it either. I don't remember a bomb going off at the Atlanta Olympics.
1: Yeah. I I just spoke
0: for ten minutes about Sarah Ryan's nails. (laughs) 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 What? What?
1: Yeah. The bomb did go off and it was big. The explosion was violent enough that it blasted hundreds of people off their feet, like you see in the no. movies. It completely destroyed that tech tower, which thankfully had been evacuated thanks to Richard insisting. Yeah. Shrapnel flew out in every direction. 111 people needed to be hospitalized, and one woman in her 40s was killed instantly. And she oh. was there standing next to her 14-year-old stepdaughter when a nail from the pipe bomb impaled her in the skull. Oh,
0: oh. Yeah. Oh my goodness.
1: It oh. was bad. Really, really bad. Um, the footage is available if you want to see it. It looks like such a terrible destruction zone. Yeah. And of course, it instantly became the biggest news story in the world because it's an act of terrorism at the Olympics. So it's a yeah. very big deal. Plus, every country already had their news media there on the ground. So everyone could start covering the story straight away. Straight away. away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, somewhere along the line, someone reported to the media that Richard Jewell was the one who'd spotted the bag and he was the one who'd started the process of moving people to safety. And if it hadn't been for him, hundreds, maybe thousands more people would have been injured or potentially killed. So from the very next day, Richard was being celebrated as a hero all around the world, which Mm. he was very open about the fact that he didn't feel comfortable about being called a hero. In his mind, he was just one of many people who were doing their job to keep people safe. There were more than 30,000 security staff there at the Olympic Games that year. And he just kept saying he was really grateful to be part of that team and happy that they were able to prove that following protocol really can save lives. But... Mm. The media loves a hero story. So every news outlet wanted a piece of Richard Jewell and so they were putting him front and centre despite his reluctance. Yeah. He really didn't want to go on camera, but his employer loved the idea of all the pub, uh, the positive publicity they could get if he went on TV wearing a T-shirt with their logo
0: on it. Oh, no.
1: <laughs> so they sort of signed him up to go on all these TV stations like CNN and CBS mm. and just about every other channel. And because he was this really big deal, suddenly in the space of a couple of days he was offered a book deal And (laughs) it's because he was offered that book deal to tell his side of the story that he decided he'd better call up his old friend Watson Bryant for the first time in a while because Watson was a lawyer. Richard figured he'd be able to help him with sorting out the contract if this book deal did go ahead with the publisher. Watson was like, "Um, I work in real estate law, but um, I'll help you out if I can. Uh, Let's catch up a little bit later in the week. Meanwhile, a couple of days after the bombing, the president of a college where Richard used to work as a campus officer saw Richard being praised as a hero on TV.
0: Yeah. And
1: he felt compelled to put a call into the FBI and give them a bit of background info on Richard. Because he, the head of the college, had recently been forced to put Richard on probation because Richard had repeatedly been overstepping his jurisdiction, just taking his job way too seriously, that oh, in complaints about him pulling okay. people over on the freeway to give them warnings and citations, he had no authority to give. Yeah. He was also doing unauthorised raids on student dorms. Think D- Dwight Schrute. Like yeah. Someone who's I was, obsessed. I was about to
0: say, like Dwight Schrute. <laughs> very much. Like, yeah.
1: Loves rules and laws and authority and would love nothing more than to be a fully-fledged
0: cop. Yeah. In the and like, highest rank possible. Someone who has the lowest amount of influence thinking they have the highest amount of influence. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's always yeah. the person in the lowest position at like a store or a restaurant or something who treats you the worst. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, when the manager comes out, the manager's always really nice. It's always the shit kicker who thinks that they're like, I found when I was working in hospitality, it was always the lowest ranked people who treated me like shit as a staff mm. member than yeah. the higher ups. Because
1: the only authority they have is in Is over rules. you. Yeah,
0: yeah, exactly. And to enforce mm. the rules over you. So they like take it and just run with mm-hmm.
1: it. Yeah. yeah. So Richard got heaps of complaints and when the college president rang up the FBI. He described Richard as a badge-wearing zealot who would write epic police reports for minor infractions.
0: Oh, gosh. And
1: he told the FBI he felt he had a responsibility to let them know about Richard's past because he knew that back in 1984 at the Los Angeles Olympics, a bomb had been found in the wheel of a bus for one of the sports teams, and it turned out the person who'd planted that bomb was the cop who'd found it and rescued, in inverted commas, hundreds of people before it had exploded. So there was precedent of this happening before with a cop, or in this case maybe a wannabe cop. So this sort of then led to the theory that the FBI started working with that, okay, maybe Richard did plant the bomb, then found it, made sure people could get out of the way so that he could then become the hero he's always wanted to be.
0: That's a big leap, though, Mm -hmm. to just get one tip-off from a previous employer who found him a bit annoying Mm. and then to be like, someone completely disconnected from this, did this thing once, and so now we're going to say that he also did that thing. Mm. Like, that is, what sort of case is that? That makes no sense. Yeah,
1: well, um, I mean, they started looking into him and found that there were other incidents that had happened in different towns over the course of his career. He did have a pattern of being someone that clearly wanted to be a cop and had a bit of a hero complex. Plus, they didn't have any other leads to follow. No terrorist organisation had come forward to claim responsibility. No one came forward as a witness Mm. saying they'd seen anything suspicious. They really had nothing to go off apart from this theory about Richard.
0: And when you've literally got the eyes of the entire world's media on you, you want to get it mm-hmm. solved as quickly as possible or you look so bad.
1: Absolutely. Especially because they weren't planning to stop the Olympic Games and there was still oh, another week to go. Shippers. So they really wanted to make it obvious that they were acting swiftly yeah. so that people would feel safe about continuing to come and watch the events and none of the athletes would say, oh, we're getting out of here. If you've got yeah, bombs yeah. going off, we don't want to hang around. And you can tell from an early stage they wanted their theory to be correct because Mm -hmm. they found out a little bit down the track that there'd been a phone call that had come in from a pay phone a few blocks away from the park, um, which said there's a bomb in Centennial Park. You have 30 minutes and then (gasps) hung up.
0: Oh, really? Rather than
1: treating that as a separate lead, they tried to figure out a way that they could connect that to Richard Jewell. So
0: maybe he ran to this phone box and then ran back or something.
1: Yeah, which ended up being proven totally impossible physically, which led to then a theory that he may have had some sort of
0: accomplice. Oh, like an accomplice. i got to say at this stage, I'm on his side. I don't think you you did it. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Oh, good. I'm
1: sorry if this is a spoiler, but no, (laughs) this guy, I actually... I think this is a really good point to m- mention that a lot of people when they tell this story they do sort of maintain this level of ambiguity diddy
0: or diddy. he is
1: completely innocent this oh, is a okay, lindy yeah. chamberlain type story where it seems sometimes obvious. people you know oh could this be true no let's be really clear this guy's totally innocent and oh, okay. he ended up being treated so badly by the fbi <gasps> cuz it just we'll seems Yeah, it seems so
0: obvious that he's innocent right now. It Mm -hmm. just seems, like, how could they, yeah, already it seems obvious.
1: Mm -hmm. And things are only just starting to get bad. Okay. Because if the FBI had just quietly, discreetly, privately investigated Richard, they would have found there was zero evidence he was involved and his life probably would have just been impacted very, very uh, minimally. Yeah. Instead, one of the FBI agents leaked to a journalist named Kathy Scruggs that Richard was the lead suspect. Now, Kathy was a crime reporter for the local Atlanta Journal newspaper, and yeah. she took great pride in her ability to get a scoop. Her motto was "Be first, be fast," and I think we've all known some <laughs> gentlemen who had the same philosophy. <laughs> in, in Uh, Um, she really wanted to get the scoop on this story Atlanta was her home turf and if this story was true she wanted to be the first in the world to break the news Yeah. conveniently she had a bunch of connections in the police world so she asked around and she got confirmation from a second source that Richard Jewell's history was being investigated and that he was going to be brought in for questioning so she rushed this sensational front page oh yeah This is what blew his life up. Yeah. The headline she went with was FBI suspects, quote, unquote, hero guard may have planted the bomb.
0: No. Oh, no. Uh How can you post a headline like that about someone? It's their life.
1: Mm -hmm. And it is true the FBI were suspecting he may have planted the bomb, but there was no evidence to support that. (laughs) He was a private citizen and this is just on the Tuesday. So the bomb went off late on the Friday night. By the Tuesday, he's now gone from being a hero to now being accused of potentially planting the bomb that hurt all those people and killed that woman. That day, that Tuesday, very surreal for Richard because it started off as one of the best days of his life and then ended up being one of the worst. In the morning, he was on the Today Show with Katie Couric, being called a hero once again and mingling with all these celebrities backstage. Then when he got home in the afternoon, there were a bunch of reporters waiting outside for him, asking him if he was a suspect in the case. And (sighs) at first, he just laughed it off by saying, well, they're going to question everyone who was there. That's just proper police work. A lot of you will be questioned if you were there that night. And he went inside his apartment, not thinking he had anything to worry about. He didn't turn on the TV, so he had no idea how drastically the narrative about him had changed. Yeah. He just got ready for his next shift at the park in blissful ignorance until he got a call from his manager telling him he shouldn't come into work because everyone knew he was being investigated as a suspect. Even still, he played that down saying, yep that's just good, diligent law enforcement, God bless America, and went, okay, well, I guess I've got the night off then. But before he could relax, there was a knock on the door and two FBI agents were standing there. They told him they were there with a very special assignment for Richard. They were shooting a training video for the FBI and they really wanted him to feature in it, given his recent experience as a heroic first responder. They said they had the studio all set up at their office downtown. They just needed him to come with them right away. Richard didn't stop for a second to think that this might be some sort of ludicrous ruse to get him to agree to come down to the station and be questioned. He just got swept away in the excitement of being the star of a real-life FBI training video. Oh, Richard. This was... Proudest moment of his life. He finally felt like a real law enforcement professional. So he very eagerly went with the agents down to the office and sat in front of the camera, answered all their questions about his history and his experience finding the bomb, clearing the area out. And after about 30 minutes of filming, one of the agents was called out of the room, then came back in and handed Richard a piece of paper. And he basically said, Sorry, Richard, we're going to need to start again from the beginning. We forgot we need you to start off the video with um, some footage of you signing this waiver form. So we'll take it back to the start and we'll just get a shot of you entering the frame, sign the waiver, and then we'll go from there. Th- Richard took...
0: Th- <laughs> this can't be allowed. This can't be allowed.
1: Shockingly, it is.
0: I'm so... I'm just, I'm sitting here with my jaw on the floor. Mm-hmm.
1: Because all of this information became public knowledge and it turned out that you can use ruses like this and they do routinely use ruses like this to get people to come in and agree to questioning.
0: This is why there's so many false confessions in the US because there's just sweet dummies like Richard Jewell who just Mm -hmm. have no idea and they pull these elaborate tricks like this to get them to say things that they wouldn't otherwise say. Yep.
1: That's right. Now, oh the reason God. that agent had been called out of the room was because someone from up the chain had pointed out wait, if you haven't read him his Miranda rights or got yeah. him to sign something, whatever he says is totally inadmissible in court. So that's why they wanted to come in, get him to sign this form.
0: But how can it not be inadmissible again? in court if they tricked him into signing his Miranda rights? I know, like, that I doesn't shocked. make any sense. It doesn't make Shock. any sense. Uh. Oh, possible. these fuckers. Mm-hmm. Okay. Fortunately for
1: Richard, it didn't work. He recognised the waiver for what it was yeah. and said, I think I need to speak to my lawyer. And, of course, yeah. their response Good was, then, boy. like, why are you guilty? Have you done something you feel bad about?
0: No. Always ask for your lawyer. Don't yeah. say anything. Lawyer, lawyer,
1: mm-hmm. lawyer. mm mm-hmm. um, It took a while, but he finally got hold of his friend, Watson Bryant, the only Mm. lawyer he knew. Of course, it was the 90s, so it was a world full of landlines and car phones. So it took a bit, but when they were finally connected, Richard explained to Watson he'd agreed to go to the FBI office without a lawyer because he thought he was going to be in a training video. Watson was just like, you are an idiot. Say absolutely nothing. Get out of there as quickly as you can. I just saw a newspaper saying you're a suspect and you're all over TV being (laughs) fingered as a suspect. You need to get out of there now. I'll meet you at your place. Now, please put me onto one of the FBI agents. And Watson got that agent to confirm they weren't planning to arrest Richard. They didn't have any reason that would allow them to legally apprehend him and so Watson said well the interview's over Richard's going to be leaving now yeah Richard got home about 8 p.m that night there was an absolute frenzy going on out the front of his apartment well over 100 reporters in the parking lot jostling to shove their cameras and microphones in Richard's face and he was bombarded with all sorts of provocative questions to try to get a response out of him Um, he sort of made his way into the house, which was a two-bedroom apartment he shared with his mother, Bobby. She was home waiting for him. She was very confused and so scared. He tried to explain to her as much as he knew, and they turned on the news and waited for Watson to get there. And right there on NBC, the same network Richard had appeared on that morning and been called a hero, They were now reporting that the FBI had enough evidence to arrest and prosecute Richard. What? Completely made up, and they would end up getting sued for half a million dollars for having made that comment. But you can imagine the damage it did on that night. Oh, no. Watson finally got to the apartment and spent hours asking questions, examining all his answers. He wanted to be absolutely certain Richard was 100% innocent before Mm. he agreed he was going to help out as his lawyer, and he was convinced Richard had nothing to do with this. So, the first problem they needed to fix was all this media coverage, so Watson was going on every show doing his best to try to defend Richard and bring everyone back to the facts and stop this wild speculation and exaggeration that was getting completely out of control, just like we saw with the Lindy Mm. Chamberlain story. You can
0: imagine the frenzy, though. Like It would have been, as a a consumer of media it would have been funner to consume media that had him as guilty than Mm. to consume media that he was a hero. Like everyone would have enjoyed doing that much more, whether they knew like consciously they were doing that or not. Mm -hmm. Everyone, including us, if we had been aware of it at the time, would have jumped on the story of him being guilty so much faster than the story of him being the hero.
1: Absolutely. It's a funner
0: story. It's a funner, more entertaining story
1: especially because Richard lived at home with his mother and Richard was fat and Richard had a southern accent and spoke in a real sort of simple kind of way. Yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. So the fact that he's also been a failed cop made people go, oh, look at this loser trying desperately to make himself a hero. Can you imagine anyone going to those lengths? How sad. So and even, really, though really even though it's even though
0: none of it's true, he's still having to hear all of that said in the media about him. Like how That's awful right. is that? Having yep. to see what the world really thinks of you that you're just a fat loser who couldn't mm-hmm. get any attention unless you physically hurt people. Yeah. Isn't That's that right. awful to have people yep. think that of you?
1: And this was just the beginning of a truly hellish 3 months for him now that he was the most mm. hated person in the world. It was also terrible for his mother, who had to go through it all by his side as well. Oh, in the next few days, the FBI showed up with a search warrant. Forty agents came and searched every millimetre of their apartment and took away boxes and boxes of potential evidence. They're that, believing
0: their own bullshit. Mm-hmm. They're believing their own bullshit. The media It's like the themselves. media and the FBI have convinced each other... Mm-hmm. But it's what's that thing that eats its own tail? But it's an
1: uh, an infinity snake or something.
0: Whatever it is, yeah, mm. it's one of those things. Like, where did it? Where did it start? Where does it end?
1: Yeah, they were so desperate to find something, they were reaching to the lengths of taking their vacuum cleaner and all of Bobby's Tupperware oh to gosh. check out forensically, because they had nothing else to go off, mm. and they just really wanted Richard to turn out to be guilty.
0: That to arrest The someone. FBI
1: didn't want to disappoint the public and the public yeah. really wanted to have their villain and yeah. be able to laugh about him at the same time. That was yeah. part of the joy that yeah, he's what a really What an entertaining bad guy, villain. but also he's a loser. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, the only suspicious things they could find in Richard's belongings were some old hand grenade cases he kept as paperweights and also a piece of wood that he'd taken from the wreckage after the explosion as a souvenir, which right. was a very odd thing to keep. You and I probably wouldn't do that same thing. Mm. Richard did, and you can imagine the problems that that then caused because the media started reporting that they found bombs inside the uh, house. Yeah. And, and he took a
0: trophy from the bomb site. Exactly.
1: Yeah. So from then on, anyone who'd been on the fence about whether or not he was guilty made up their mind, on oh, no, Richard Jewell absolutely was the bomber. Oh, Kathy me. Scruggs, thanks to her once again, she'd started reporting that he hadn't kept a piece of wood from the park, that he'd actually kept a piece of the bomb just to keep the story going with a new revelation that was completely made up.
0: What an odious woman.
1: This all went on for a week. The Olympics came to an end and now that the news didn't need to allocate time to reporting the results of the Games, they could spend more time reporting on this oh, investigation gosh. and things kept getting nastier. Jay Leno was calling Richard the Unidoofus. Um, people were referring <laughs> him as Bubba That's the Bomber. Fun. And oh, then,
0: and it's all I can, I can tell you right now that when the person is fat, it ninety percent of it becomes about their weight. Mm-hmm. Like it always becomes about their weight, even though their weight has nothing to do with anything. Yeah, if somebody is in the media and they are bigger, that's what it all becomes about.
1: And the '90s was so fat phobic.
0: Oh yeah, I mean According it still it is now, but it was of then. Yeah. Well, yeah, it still is now, but probably worse then. Yeah.
1: yeah. Um. Then, as if all that wasn't enough to discredit him, the media started reporting this theory that Richard was gay and that his accomplice had been his secret lover and oh they both hated cops and this is their way of acting out against them. Like, just wild speculation, totally yeah. out of control. Richard and Bobby were living under siege in their house. They could barely go outside. There were more than 200 reporters out there all Mm. the time, as well as a bunch of abusive nutcases with nothing better to do than harass them and tell them they should kill themselves. All the stuff that happens online these days was happening in real life to them back then. They'd had to disconnect their phone for obvious reasons because of all the death threats they were getting. They couldn't open their curtains without a thousand camera flashes going off. They were also certain the house had been bugged, so they communicated to each other by writing notes no. on pieces of paper. Like, it was just a living hell. And then things just kept getting worse from a legal perspective because people who'd been hurt in the bomb blast started trying to sue Richard oh, and hold no. him accountable financially for the damages. But he hasn't been arrested yet. That's right.
0: He, hasn't he been never ends yet. up being
1: arrested at any oh point my in here. Oh my it's
0: God. Oh my all God. All
1: just okay. a media frenzy.
0: Yeah.
1: Thank goodness they had Watson Bryant on their side as their hero because things were very bleak at this point and they could have deteriorated even further if they hadn't had his assistance. Yeah. He came up with a plan firstly, smuggle Richard out of the house and take him to get an independent polygraph test done that would help to prove his mm. innocence. Once Richard was able to calm himself down sitting in that chair, he did the test, there was no deception detected and Watson shared those results with the FBI and with the media. That did a little bit to help swing the narrative in Richard's favour. Yeah. Then Watson started building up a legal army. He brought in a bunch of criminal and civil lawyers with expertise in things like this, including Lynn Wood. Do you know who that is? Mm Mm-mm. He was one of Trump's lawyers and he was like one of the main leaders in the Stop the Steal
0: oh, movement really? a
1: couple of years oh. ago. Yeah, he went full QAnon. I was really surprised. Oh, wow. Like he is a prime example of someone who is, you know, a hero fighting for the good guys back in the day, but then lived long enough to well and truly become the villain.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. villain. <laughs>
1: um, they got ready to sue all the news outlets around the world who defamed Richard. Yeah. And then this was really smart. Watson also organized a press conference during the Democratic Convention so Bobby could make a really emotional plea publicly to President Bill Clinton begging him to tell the FBI, shit or get off the pot, either have Richard arrested and tried or clear his name. Yeah,
0: yeah.
1: Which ended up semi-happening but not until October. After three months of hell, yeah. finally the FBI, possibly under the instruction of President Clinton, sent Richard a letter telling him he was no longer under investigation.
0: So he's no they, longer a suspect.
1: That's right. They couldn't declare him totally innocent until they found the real person who'd done the bombing. But they they could make it clear they'd found no yeah. evidence to indicate he was guilty. So they weren't looking into him for the time being.
0: Well, technically, you apologize. can't declare you can't declare anyone innocent mm. until you found the guilty party. Like that's you, right. you couldn't declare us innocent. Who knows? Mm-hmm.
1: This was the closest he could get to a declaration of innocence.
0: Oh my
1: god. No apology and they tried to make it seem like it was just really regrettable that this had leaked out to the media because it had Our made bag. things really difficult for them in the long term as well because it had really Our hampered the investigation.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: So Richard was free but his life could just never go back to normal again. Similar to Lindy Chamberlain, he was mm. never going to be anonymous. Everyone knew his name. He was permanently associated with this terrorist attack. And for a lot of people, he still had this question mark over his head of whether or not he'd done it. And in my Um. research... Up to this day, there are still people who are surprised to find out, oh, he didn't do it. We know that for sure.
0: Oh Well, see, I didn't know. Mm. When you started telling me this, I was like, oh, it sounds like he's innocent. And you're like, yeah, because he is. (laughs) I was like, oh. (laughs) I had no idea which way this story went.
1: Yeah, completely innocent. But for a lot of people, they still have this lingering mindset that it's ambiguous. Yeah. Now, he only lived another 11 years Uh, He ended up dying of a heart attack at 44. All of his family and friends agree the stress and trauma of the ordeal really badly affected his mental and physical health. He spent a lot of the rest of his life in court cases suing those newspapers and TV programs Mm. that had told lies about him.
0: His heart would not be able to take all that stress. The heart is not physically built to handle that kind of stress.
1: Yeah, it was all... Too much. Yeah. Surprisingly, he never felt resentment towards the police or FBI, though. He maintained this deep reverence for law enforcement for the rest of his life. He even ended up becoming a sheriff's deputy and fulfilling his dream. He got married in 1998, but I think the best thing that happened to him that year was the FBI finally figured out who was really responsible for the bombing.
0: Who was it? Oh, Mm -hmm. my God, I forgot to ask.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going to say his name, but I'll just tell you, surprise, surprise, he was fucking right-wing religious nutcase. Nut job,
0: yeah, Mm -hmm. of course.
1: And after the Olympic bombing happened, this Christian, in inverted commas, Blew up a few abortion clinics and a lesbian bar. Lovely.
0: And in
1: 98, they figured out who'd done those attacks, had used all the same supplies as the Atlanta Olympic bombings. So they figured out who the guy was that was responsible for all of them. Problem was, just when they figured out who he was, he disappeared into the Appalachian forest and it took them (laughs) Five years to find him. <gasps> Stop it. Hiding out in the woods for five years.
0: Wow. And
1: this detail I just love, the way he was caught in 2003, this fucknut who was at the top of the FBI's top ten most wanted list yeah. with a million-dollar bounty on his head and dozens yeah. of bounty hunters out to get him. He ended up being arrested by a 21-year-old rookie cop who was in like his first month of the job who found him dumpster diving out the back of a supermarket one night and brought him into the station and he ended up being identified.
0: So they didn't even arrest him by like their wits or their smarts or their Mm -hmm. intelligence. It was just an accident.
1: He was arrested for dumpster diving and then they were like, hey, you're you're one of the most wanted people in the country.
0: So you said... Um, Was Richard Jewell alive to see him get arrested? He was. Yeah, Yeah. he was alive to
1: see him get arrested. He was alive to see him confess to everything in court and be found guilty and sentenced to multiple life sentences.
0: Which is good for him, but still, like you said, the media people had taken that media story Mm -hmm. and would never think of it any other way. Like I bet him that the guy who did it confessing would have been like, story four uh, in the mm. second half of the news one night in the middle of the week mm-hmm. compared to what Richard Jewell's story was. So, like, no one would even really know that that it happened.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And like I said, there are still so many people who I'd read articles that they'd written about this, because when the movie came out a couple of years ago, the Clint Mm. Eastwood, Richard Jewell movie we mentioned at the beginning, a lot of people went to see it and then wrote reviews and were like, I had no idea he was actually completely innocent. And I did a bit of research and it turns out they did find the real bomber. Who knew? Like it was this (laughs) big mystery. Yeah.
0: Oh my God. Well, I didn't know.
1: So it is really tragic that Richard and his uh, mother went through that experience and Mm. that he died at such a young age. We can be thankful that when he died, at least a lot of the world um, knew the truth and Mm. would remember him as a hero. And he probably would have loved that heaps and heaps of police officers went to his funeral after he died. That would have meant the world to him and it meant the world to his mother. And no one was ever blamed or shamed by the media ever again. No more. <laughs> the media learnt
0: happened. its lesson and that yes. was that. Oh <laughs> things evolved in Richard a positive direction. Jewell.
1: Yeah, no, they call it the Richard Jewell effect when
0: oh. a story
1: sort of takes off like this and someone is accused of a crime they didn't commit, but then is sort of put on trial by Media and by the mm. public, and once they're found guilty, they're sort of always considered to be at
0: least slightly guilty. Once they're found not guilty, you mean they're always considered. Oh, yeah, sorry, <laughs> yeah, pardon me. Once they're found not guilty, they're all like people will never quite believe it.
1: That's right, yeah.
0: Wowzers, yeah.
1: So, that was just the gist of Richard Jewell and the Atlanta bombing.
0: That was so interesting. I had, no, I, can't, I had no idea about any of that. Mm,
1: that's really, really surprising.
0: And even I, the little bit I did know his name and that there was some kind of bombing in Atlanta or like I didn't even know there was a bombing. Like I said, I just thought a bomb had been planted. Um, I always thought, oh, we don't know if he did it or not. That was mm. the narrative I had in my head of the very little I knew about it. Mm-mm.
1: Yeah, and like I said, he
0: didn't do it.
1: Yeah. Um and like he had just the best of intentions with all of the silly choices he made mm. over the years with, you know, being a bit overzealous at his job. His intentions were pure. He was genuinely a good guy based on yeah. all the accounts I've I've read. Um I would oh. highly recommend you watch the Clint Eastwood movie, Richard mm-hmm. Jewell from 2019. Um, According to Richard's mother in particular, it's super accurate and it stays quite true to the book I read as well, which is called The Suspect. We'll put Mm -hmm. links to this in the show notes. Um, The one thing that was really controversial about the Clint Eastwood movie is Olivia Wilde plays Kathy Scruggs, the... Mm -hmm. What is it? Be Fast, Be First reporter? Yeah, Be Fast, Be First reporter, yeah. And it's very... um, strongly implied that she was sleeping with her sources to get information from them,
0: oh. which her
1: family, her friends, her co-workers found really, really offensive. But okay. that ended up being something that um, Clint Eastwood and some of the other members of the production team stood by, saying we've spoken to other people who verified that she oh. did actually do that. So that's a little bit sort of he said Look, from said.
0: what I've heard about her, it sounds like she would do that. I'm just saying. There are a just few accounts saying. out there, but then maybe um, that's maybe that's the Richard Jewell effect, and I'm just finding her guilty because I just am because of everything <laughs> I've heard about her. So there you go.
1: Your mind's made up, and there's no yeah, changing it
0: now. Exactly. Yeah.
1: yeah. Um, so I we'll posted really those links and a few other ones as well. There was a Vanity Fair article that came out a year after all of this, sort of unpacking it and going we have to make sure this never happens again.
0: And it never <laughs> did. That. <laughs> That's a very sweet. So That was go. a really good one. Thank you so much. That was, I yeah, I really, really liked that one. That was excellent. Terrific. What a good story. Poor Richie. Richie. Poor Richie Jewel and his mum, Bobby.
1: Yeah. Archie.
0: Archie. Archie. Um, All right, so I'm off on start. holidays now. Yeah, um, have fun. I'll see you okay. in a couple weeks. Bye. Bye. listener